You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah. Innahum in yadhharu alaykum yardumukum aw yu'idukum fi millatihim wa lan tuflihu idhan abada. For if they come to know of you, they will stone you or turn you back to their religion. And in that case, you would never be successful. And thus we made their case known to the people, that they might know that the promise of Allah is true, and that there can be no doubt about the hour. When they disputed among themselves about their case, they said, Construct a building over them. Their Lord knows best about them. Those who won their point said, We verily shall build a place of worship over them. سيقولون ثلاثة رابعهم كلبهم ويقولون خمسة سادسهم كلبهم رجما بالغيب ويقولون سبعة وثامنهم كلبهم وربي أعلم بعدتهم ما يعلمهم إلا قليل فَلَا تُمَارِ فِيهِمْ إِلَّا مِرَاءً ظَاهِرًا وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِ فِيهِمْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا Some say they were three, the dog being the fourth among them. Others say they were five, the dog being the sixth, guessing at the unseen. Yet others say they were seven, the dog being the eighth. Say, O Muhammad, my Lord knows best their number. None knows them but a few. So debate not, except with the clear proof. And consult. In the name of Allah, the absolutely merciful, the especially merciful. وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدًا And never say of anything, I shall do such and such thing tomorrow. إِلَّا أَن يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ وَاذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ وَقُلْ عَسَى Except, 
if Allah will. And remember your Lord when you forget and say, It may be that my Lord guides me unto a nearer way of truth than this. وَلَبِثُوا فِي كَهْفِهِمْ ثَلَاثَ سِنِينَ وَازْدَادُوا And they stayed in their cave three hundred years and add nine. قُلِ اللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا لَبِثُوا لَهُ غَيْبُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَبْصِرْ بِهِ وَأَسْمِعْ مَا لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ مِنْ Say, Allah knows best how long they stayed. With Him is the knowledge of the unseen of the heavens and the earth, how clearly He sees and hears. They have no disposer of affairs other than Him, and He makes none to share in His decision and His rule. We are inshallah going to cover 23rd, 24th uh, and 25th possibly the ayahs of the Quran uh, of uh, Surah Kahf today. Translation is Kisi cheez ke baare mein ye na kaha karo ke mein kal ye kaam kar dunga tum kuch nahi kar sakte illa ye ke Allah chahe agar bhule se aisi baat zuban se nikal jaye to foran apne rab ko yaad karo aur kaho امید ہے کہ میرا رب اس معاملے میں رش سے قریب تر بات کی طرف میری رہنمائی فرما دے گا اور وہ اپنے غار میں تین سو سال رہے اور کچھ لوگ مدت کے شمار میں نو سال اور بڑھ گئے ہیں تم کہو اللہ ان کے قیام کی مدت زیادہ جانتا ہے آسمانوں اور زمین کے سب پوشیدہ احوال اسی کو معلوم ہیں کیا خوب ہے وہ دیکھنے والا اور سننے والا زمین و آسمان کی مخلوقات کا کوئی خبرگیر اس کے سوا نہیں اور وہ اپنی حکومت میں کسی کو شریک نہیں کرتا اے نبی صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم تمہارے رب کی کتاب میں سے جو کچھ تم پر وہی کیا گیا ہے اسے جوں کا توں سنا دو کوئی اس کے فرمودات کو بدل دینے کا مجاز نہیں ہے اور اگر تم کسی کی خاطر اس میں رد و بدل کرو گے یہ بریکٹس میں ہے اس سے بچ کر بھاگنے کے لیے کوئی جائے پناہ نہ پاؤ گے اور اپنے دل کو ان لوگوں کی مائیت پر مطمئن کرو جو اپنے رب کی رضا کے طلبگار بن کر صبح و شام اسے پکارتے ہیں اور ان سے ہرگز نگاہ نہ پھیرو کیا تم دنیا کی زینت پسند کرتے ہو صدق اللہ العظیم سامعین یہ جو آیات آپ کے سامنے رکھی گئیں اس کا اردو ترجمہ تھا جو لوگ ابھی اس پروگرام میں شریک ہوئے ہیں آپ کو یاد دلاتا چلوں کہ یہ ریڈیو رمضان پہ ریفلیکشنز پروگرام ہر شام ساڑھے سات سے لے کر کے افطار کے وقت تک نشر کیا جاتا ہے آج افطار کا وقت نو بج کے سات منٹ ہے آج افطار کا وقت نو بج کے سات منٹ افطار از گنٹ بی ایٹ نائن او سیون اینڈ ود می ایز آلویز آئی ہیو شیخ رضوان السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ سو شیخ یس ڈے وی فنشڈ آلموسٹ فنشڈ دا اسٹوری Uh, as I thought, where mm. we had concluded that those uh, sleepers, uh, they were, they had been to the, the town mm-hmm. and they are now back and they went back to the eternal sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. They, they have finished their job. They have uh, established what they were uh, supposed to establish in a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed Mm-hmm. everyone that what they got themselves out of for whatever <coughs> cause has now been accomplished mm-hmm. and people knew about it 
Yes. And then they became those re- revered people mm-hmm. uh, that will be remembered in history. Mm-hmm. But then the ayahs now today, they, they start with a different subject and then go back into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So this is a verses, <coughs> the verses that have been re- recited are from verses 23 onwards to 27. Um, remember the, the, the beginning of this parable in, in the Qur'an of the people of the cave um, starts off by completing the you know the first three verses of Surah Al-Kahf that talk about the people of the cave basically summarizes the whole story and then it starts going into detail. So basically once you know when we started um, relating and commenting upon the, the specific um, beginning of this um, the whole story was encapsulated in two or three verses at the beginning and then it went into detail. And the detail was there to re- really paint a picture of um, the types of people who were involved in this whole episode, the context of it, and, and some of the miraculous nature of how God protected them in that specific situation. Um, and then it starts to go into the, the fact that people go into details when there's no need for details. And mm. we kind of cover that. So that was a very important point, that what's important in the Qur'anic qissa or a story it's not the details, but the universal message that's coming out. So the Qur'an, in a sense, addresses the details that are there by saying they're irrelevant to the story. And then what happens at this point is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now directs his attention of his speech to the Prophet And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تُقُولَنَّ بِلِّشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلُ ذَلِكَ غَدَى O Messenger of God, uh, do not say about anything that uh, is in the future that you will that you are going to do it tomorrow illa an yasha Allah except that you also add that unless Allah wills and also make mention of Allah if you fall into forgetfulness. So this is almost like a um a break away from the story to the personality of the Prophet also taking it into the context of we just our discussion about why did this chapter come into being hmm. um, revealed to the Prophet Sallallahu at the time it was revealed was to do with uh, a specific instance where the Quraysh sought the help of the, the, the rabbis to ask questions and query the Prophet Sallallahu and what what's related in, in, the, in the narration is the Prophet Sallallahu was approached and he said I will tell you tomorrow there was a story of the the seven sleepers, the story of the Qurnain, and the and the answer to the question of the ruh, and so the Qurnain and the sleepers is mentioned in this chapter. Um, the response to the issue of the ruh is is related to the previous verse chapter. Sorry, this is quite interesting because yes, aluna ka'ani ruh. That is in the previous chapter, uh, Surah Bani Israel. So what's interesting about this is that the reason why this chapter came down is the question about three things. The, the answers are given. In this specific sequence, it is telling us the Prophet said he would he would relate the answers tomorrow. He didn't say inshallah, which we're going to talk about in a moment. In the end, the answers do come. Two of them come in this chapter, and one of them the Prophet places in Bani Israel, the chapter of Bani Israel. Now it doesn't come here. So remember the Prophet ﷺ, by consensus of scholars is the one that decided on the place of every verse in the Qur'an in the chapters. Mm. So if you have any chapter of the Qur'an in Surah Tawbah or Surah Al-Fal or Surah Al-Kahf or Surah, or surah Al-Nas, every single verse and its sequence is decided by the Prophet 
Okay. The order of the chapters was an issue that was has been discussed by scholars whether the chaptering in a sequence was based upon only the commands of the Prophet or was it also um, you know some input from the companions after the death of the Prophet So that's an issue of, of of disagreement. But the point is the answer to the ruh is given in the previous chapter, and it was it came at the same time, but it was so placed three, by the Prophet. Three, three questions asked were. Um, the, the people of the of the cave, Dhul uh, Qarnain, and the last one was the, the nature of the ruh. And these were the, the communities who asked. Was uh, they were Jewish communities? The Jewish community asked these three. These three questions, or posed these questions to the Quraysh to ask to the Prophet Because when the Quraysh so realized the, the Jewish community is a learned community. Yes, so they wanted to know: Does he know things that he cannot know about? Yeah, ex- except through revelation. From their own experience of revelation, they'll know what the issue is that only people through revelation can understand. So the Quraysh would not know these stories ordinarily because no, it, it didn't concern them. No, because the Ruh, for example, they 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 basically said we 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 die and we live, and nothing destroys us except for time. That's mentioned in the Quran. This is what they said. So the Ruh was very much after your death, you're basically non-existent. So they didn't believe in that. So. Uh, and Dhul Qarnain was something that was outside their remit in terms of um, their interest. And so for the, for the Jewish community that was important. And what you find is uh, each of these stories, like the story of Dhul Qarnain, the story of the people of Kahf, the story of the Prophet Musa alayhi they deal with different types of um, you know, kind of ideas. The, the issue of the ruh is separate. And so I think that the reason why the, the verse of the Ruh is placed somewhere else is because it doesn't deal with the same theme as all the other stories of Surah Al-Kahf. Surah Al-Kahf talks about the breaking of, as I said, you know, the barzakh and the breaking of norms. So, for example, the Surah Al-Kahf, the actual story of the people of the cave is breaking the norms of time. Mm. You know, that we think of time, linear, um, how long will people live. That sense of time is broken. It's, it's, um, it's kind of, it's shaken up. Our concept of time is shaken up. That's why they're arguing how long they stayed. And when you look at the story of the Dhul uh, Qarnayn, the idea of distance is broken up. He's given the dominion of the East and the West. And he's also given um, the power to block a specific race of people, or two races of people, Ya'juj and Ma'juj, behind a wall through a, through a, through a barrier. So mm. our sense of space there would be okay, so that's the barrier. So what's behind it is Ya'juj and Ma'juj. The whole point, I think, of um, Surah Al-Kahf is, t- in, a, in a sense, telling us to look for a geographical location for the barrier is a, is a mistake. Hmm. Because what, what's intended is, all these stories are about breaking norms about how we understand time, how we understand space, and also, I think, how we understand um, probably... And then when we come to the story of, um, I've mentioned this at the beginning actually, the first couple of sessions, the Prophet Musa and Khidr, the sense of causation, mm. what causes what. Mm-hmm. You know the sequence, if you do this, that, that, then that happens, that's bad. Whereas, you know, the fact that you don't know the wisdom of it, what will happen in the end, if you knew at the beginning, would it change the way you did something? Because mm, mm. essentially, what's happening is in the, when you come to the uh, when the when we come to the story of Prophet Musa, essentially what Prophet Musa is going to say is, "You do this, that happens, and that's bad." Yeah. And what the Khidr is saying, based on the knowledge he's given by God, is 
But if the end will be good, and we know this now, but you do something that looks to be bad, is it bad? So essentially, it's saying, oh, look at how Allah looks at things. If you can say that. Look at how Allah plots things and plans things. That He knows the end. And so the thing that you think is unacceptable now may not be unacceptable because of that. And so in this specific section, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدًا Do not say about a thing that I will do it tomorrow unless you say, inshaAllah. And yasha'Allah, that's the whole thing. So we always say, inshaAllah. Mm. And this is why Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, uh, whenever he used to write something or, or try and do something, he'd always say, inshaAllah. Even if he was writing something, at the end of the end of a section, he would say, inshaAllah. Because even if it was known that you would do it, he still added, inshaAllah. And in fact, in, in, you know, when we, um, we go to the graveyard, the dua is, you give salam to the people of, of the graveyard, and we also say, inshaAllah, bikum lahiqun, that inshaAllah yeah. we will be um, coming together with you. But everyone's going to die, so why are, you saying, why are you saying inshaAllah? Because even in the thing that you know is going to happen, mm. there is this custom that you, you say inshaAllah. Because that, that dua that you do when you go to the, the, the graveyard doesn't make any sense. Mm. If you think about it, if you think inshaAllah, does that mean I might not die? You're going to die. So this but idea is instilled. Even if you're certain, you still say inshallah. Inshallah, because even the thing that is certain to happen, you always include the will of God in it. Mm-hmm. So this I, is I would like to pause you there, sorry, before you start on this one, because this is quite a, a detailed topic in itself. You, you touched upon time and space. Mm. So time, space. Mm. We, we, are, we are asked to live in an order that we know mm. given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. and yet we are asked to recognize <coughs> that there is this unseen world mm-hmm. that there is this third dimension that exists mm. can't be quantified mm. we cannot ever have full knowledge of it we mm. don't know the rules of the game mm-hmm. uh, we know the rules of the game here if we, if we put our hand in a fire we know it will burn mm-hmm. um, you know the, the heat goes up you know you, you will sweat mm. um, and vice versa. <coughs> so uh, you you have to wear a certain gear if if it's snowing. Now th- you know the rules, mm-hmm. and yet we are asked to believe in the, the dimension of this world, which the rules are not known. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, you're you're told to live within the rules of time and space. Yeah, causality, um, reasoning, all these things, but you're also told to. Understand how things happen based upon the fact there are certain things that you cannot understand. So it's not really that you have to change the how way does you live. my life. The, so the way not I want to, to live here, not, yeah. successfully interacting with people properly, uh, with fairness, with justice, mm-hmm. and with this fairness and justice, I live with people. I interact with people. Mm-hmm. I keep connecting with my God, mm-hmm. and then I perish, and then I go on to barzakh mm-hmm. to the new life. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to believe in this? Because you need to believe in it. Because if you are in a situation where you do all the things that you're supposed to do, and you follow the laws of causality, and 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 it happens not to ha- not to be successful, or what you feel you were you were deserving did not happen, or you feel that what you, the situation you're in is undeserving of your actions and mm-hmm. it's unjust of your actions, based on your actions, and 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 in a sense, Allah is being. 
um, inconsiderate of the effort that you've put in, then you have to add the element in your life that there are certain things that are beyond your capacity to understand, but they have a reason, a wisdom, and an order which will indicate that God will be just and live and, and, and loving and caring and muntaqim and all the all the attributes. Mm. They will all be in order. That's the reason why you need to know the supernatural realm, the unseen realm. Mm. It's Which like, you know, you, you don't understand. I mean, I've given the example in numerous years past. Jalandi Rumi mentions the Persian rug of of pattern. And you essentially don't know there's a pattern until you can see the the third dimensional aspect of it. If you're an ant walking across, you can't make sense of the, the, any pattern at all. You just see randomness. Mm-hmm. But you're told you go in a direction, you're going towards that direction. You just see randomness around you. Obviously, you'll plan. You'll lead an ethical life. Now, the only way that you know that there's, there's pattern to it is to have this belief that the one that created the pattern is wise and just and has a perfect plan in place. And that leads to what we call tasalli, which is for the heart to be tranquil and to, and, and to deal with life with optimism and with the sense that everything will be okay. And so that is the, the way that wisdom works. Wisdom is this kind of you know, viewing the, the carpet from the top with everything in place. So that's why it's so important to know the fact that, you know, time is extremely relative concept. Uh-huh. Which is why I mentioned even previously that this is why the stories in the Quran always are broken up without any proper sequential order. And sometimes the person who's being spoken about is speaking the first person, sometimes the second person, sometimes the third person. Sometimes they're not the main protagonist. Sometimes it's the like the the, the wife of Prophet Musa or his mother, or it's sometimes it's him. Sometimes it's Firaun. So it's it's taking every perspective hmm. to get to the reality of what is happening. But everybody in that is their, their own agent, and this is why it's so fascinating the way the Quran talks about it. It says to the Prophet ﷺ that if you are um, saying that you will explain to people the story, don't don't do it unless you say um, unless Allah wills, because you cannot relate an, a, a story which is not sequential by remembering it. It has to be by the power of revelation that you mm-hmm. get this. So even if the Prophet knew the story, he couldn't relate it in the way the Quran would want him to relate it. Like imagine. The Prophet knew certain things about this story. Let's just say for argument's sake. And he wanted to put it in a sequence. The sequence would immediately be, be non-Quranic. Because he would, he would put it as a human mind sees the story. But the way the Quran reveals it is non-linear, non-time space, non-causal, going to the very root of the universal message. And this is why... These these chapters are so um, you know chapters of the Quran are so interesting because they break the norms of what people expect. So you know the critics of Islam, you know some of them in the in the in the past actually they've said when they read the Quran they found it confusing. Hmm. I think it was um, who was it? I think it was um, who was it? I'm trying to think. There was some one of the <clears throat> famous um, thinkers. Of the past, I think it was Thomas Carlyle, he said, you'll find it to be a jumbled um, collection of words and phrases. 
But the the reason that a lot of people see that is because it's not what they expect when they open a book. Like the the Bible is A to Z. Like this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Then you saw this person, and like the story is you you're watching somebody going through their life. Hmm. And f- so for a person, anybody trained in any other literature, this is very confusing. But there's a purpose to it, which is the Quran doesn't care about putting you into the sleep of of just having literature that you're expecting. You know when you have some, you open a novel, read a couple of pages, you know what's going to roughly happen. You put it down. Hmm. With the Quran, you read a page, read a verse, next verse is going. Oh, what's that? Constantly, it is waking you up. It's like in the motorway. You know, you you go into a, a, a kind of daydream if everything is the same. So, which is why you know psychol- psychologists have worked with people that develop motorways to put places which attract the attention of the driver hmm. to keep them awake, keep them engaged. So the Quran. Even in presenting something that we could present in a very simple way, always does it in a way that keeps the the reader or the listener properly uh, engaged in the in the the core message. Yeah, fast lane is is kind of fast paced change. Yeah, so constantly moving from time, from images, from types of content, message, um, protagonists, all completely different. So, in the middle of this, all of a sudden. You have this section which in which Allah is relating the story of the people of the cave, and then all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, you have this turn towards the Prophet in the middle of you haven't finished the story of the Kahf because the next thing will be about the, their about how long did they stay? Yeah, yeah. So the first was the the, the, the number, mm-hmm. and now is the length of time. Yeah. But that you would imagine, I would you know if you're. If you said, you know, the critic of Islam would say this is being sequenced by the Prophet why did he, did he forget to copy and paste this to the top? Mm. No, you missed it. Because the Qur'an, that is an Arabic language, that's one of the most poetic usage of 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 a, a, a statement which is to create a sense of wonderment to ask why is this coming here? Yeah, keep your attention. Which is called in Arabic iltifat, which is basically to move from a third person historical narrative to all of a sudden go straight back to the Prophet and saying to him, to in a sense it's called ta'deeb, it's to give a teaching to somebody in a very you know kind of polite way, which is to say, do not do this. That if you're going to do something tomorrow, say that it has to be by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a, that means that that, that that verse or these two verses are important. Because it's placed in the middle of a story that you find so interesting that you're only going to distract somebody if it's important. Imagine you're in a very important meeting mm. and then you want to get to the conclusion of the meeting. You only really ask, so you had a secretary or somebody who's um, looking after your affairs, you would say, only disturb me if it's very important. And so the Quran places in very important narratives extremely important things. It points out this is very important. That in the in the light of everything that we're talking about, you have to keep in account the fact that nothing happens except by the Mashiach of Allah, except by the will, the power, and the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of these things that we're fascinated by and the, and the rabbis wanting to know about, they may be fascinating, but what you can never forget is none of this fascination can be created and none of the fascinating things can happen. And you cannot be fascinated by something unless... God brings it into being in the first place. That's more wonderful. Hmm. 
that's more awe-inspiring, inspiring. not the detail of how many they were, they were, how long they stayed for, where it was, why they were there. These are academic, if you, if you put it in the context of the fact that this is just a small snippet of the mission of Allah, like the will of God, the power of God, the creative force of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah says, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ And therefore remember Allah, if you forget, وَقُلْ أُوْ Muhammad And say, O Muhammad, عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَهْدِيَنِي And it may well be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my, my Lord, provides me something that is even closer to guidance than this. Because this, in a sense, the Surah Al-Kahf is wonderful, but you know, you're being told here, hold on, Allah can provide even more wonderful things. You know, this is amazing and people are asking about it, but this is small fry compared to what Allah can do. That God can give far greater signs. The cosmos is a far greater sign. You know, the natural phenomena that we talk about are far greater signs. What verse are we talking about here? The, the um, this is verse number 24. 20, 24. Yes, yeah, so remember your Lord when you forget. And say, O Muhammad, it may well be that my Lord guides me to something which is closer to what guides to the truth. So, the whole point is, you know, hold your horses. This is fascinating, lovely story. People have asked about it for centuries. But, you know, what the Qur'an has is is even more miraculous. Mm. But also, the world is full of even more miraculous events, natural things that we see that point towards Allah's oneness, His unity, His power, creative force, His design, His care. All these things are just around us. Sheikh, just a qu- question here, right? Uh, so we, we this concept of uh, Anbiya or Masoom, mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't, they they are immune to making errors, or their errors are always uh, now. I'm I'm careful what I say. Mm-hmm. Are always corrected. Mm-hmm. So this falls under that. So as if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is correcting uh, <coughs> an action of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, hold on. You need to say Inshallah. Mm-hmm. And the second part as well. Is um, it's, it seems a little harsh. So this, I mean, uh, I think what you're asking about is the the nature of the language used here to the Prophet Sallallahu I think if you were to go through commentaries of the Quran, I, I think a fair number of them would say it's it's um, it is um, reprimand. And I think in English, a lot of people I've heard mm. when they would speak about this would probably say reprimanded, mm. which I think is is. is Incorrect. Yeah, the language is incorrect. So I think um, what Allah is te- te- Allah is teaching. So it's ta'lim. It's it's ta- it's which is to educate. Ta'dib in terms of adab, mm-hmm. out of etiquette to God. Do not say that you will do something unless you say before it, um, unless God wills. Mm-hmm. And remember, God, if you if you forget, that's how you would um, teach somebody. Like if somebody did some, a child did something, you would say, "Don't do." You don't. If you say it, doesn't mean you're shouting at them, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you're angry with them. Yeah. So you're saying, "Look, um, don't don't do this." If you do this, do that, and they'll go away, not thinking that you have rebuked them or that you're angry with them. They would see that as a natural form of educating, and in fact, they would forget about it. <clears throat> I think the problem here is. 
people and, and scholars are amongst these people, they would read into this what is not there, which is they would say it's, it's tawbiq, or which is a type of reprimand, or a telling off, um, which I don't think it is. It's more ta'adib and ta'alim. And the reason for all that is the fact that, you know, what did the Prophet do here? He was asked a question, and until he was told by Allah to increase the etiquette with God by not doing, saying any, by anything that he will do it, unless he says, insha'Allah. Now that's just an educational process. It doesn't require the theological discussion about, look, Allah, Ma'adullah has disciplined the Prophet so was mm. kind of reprimanded and disciplined. This is unbefitting. I think if you understand the Quranic message generally, it's unbefitting that that's what's happening. Education for him is education for us. Which is why I said, you know, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq used to use inshaAllah everywhere he, what he did, anything he did, even things that were certain, he did it. Just because the fact the Quran taught that thing. But you have scholars like, you know... <clears throat> You know the, the satanic verses. I think we, in previous years, we have talked about it. Mm. You know, some scholars would say that this um, whole idea is perfectly justified. That the Prophet can fall into uh, what they would call a sin, and in fact, Ibn Taymiyyah is the most famous of those that said that the Prophet fell into sin, and then by falling into sin, he would then be able to repent to Allah. So then he would have perfect servitude of God. Because until you fall into sin, you can't feel, he said, the closeness of repentance so that you come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he uses you know, numerous verses of the Qur'an for this. But I think they're all, even his own students, you know, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyyah and, and others that were around him, Imam Dhahabi, they didn't pay any attention to the specific view of Ibn, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah. Because Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٌ وَلَا نَبِيٍ إِلَّا إِذَا تَمَنَّ أَلْقَى الشَّيْطَانُ فِي أُمْنِيَتِ That there is no prophet that God has sent before you, and also no messenger, except that when they want to recite, the sh- Allah makes the shaitan throw something into him, into his recitation. Now Ibn Taymiyyah took that literally, no other scholar took it literally. So he said that, you know, it's possible that the prophets can fall into sin, so they come into a situation of repentance and they go back to Allah. The majority of scholars have always said anything that appears as a reprimand upon a prophet is education. And for the Prophet ﷺ, the most that can be said about it is the Prophet leaving something that is permitted and leave, leaving something that is permitted for something that is also permitted. So what they say is the Prophet had two options. He took the good, not the better. But the better, he didn't know it was better until he was told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, in this situation, he said, I'll answer you tomorrow. That is good. Why? Because he's saying, I don't know. If you think mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. the Prophet is admitting, I don't know. I have to wait for the revelation to come. Now, it's it's a question of, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a, it's a technicality. He didn't say, if Allah wills. You know, from my, from my reading, it's, it's a technicality that he didn't say from when the Prophet was speaking that he didn't say, Insha'Allah. But the better was that in this whole discussion of this amazing situation of Ashab al-Kahf, even in that situation, remember who is in charge. 
the power, the force, is the Mashiach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even your recitation, even your ability to receive the revelation and recite it to people is based upon this idea of the Mashiach of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it becomes nowadays in Muslim popular culture, you know, you know, if somebody asks me something, I say, inshallah. And what do they think? They think it means, um, you know, in Spanish they say, manana, manana. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow, meaning never going to happen. And so, inshallah, kalinge. You know, inshallah, inshallah. It's, it's like, I don't want to do it. Mm. But if God forces me to do it, I'll do it. Mm. But this is not what's being said here. You, all you're invoking is the fact that the only thing that happens is what Allah wills to happen. And that's how we use it. Inshallah is more of the fact that if, if anything can make it happen, it's Allah. So I'll do it. Okay, yeah. you want to come want me to do this tomorrow? I'll do it. But remember, all of these things we understand only happen by the power of God. And if the power of God is not with us, and the will of God is not with us, it will not, ha- will not happen. So this is, you know, a very interesting, very important, poignant uh, um, kind of interspace in this, in this specific story. Because what happens after this is... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَبِثُوا فِي كَهْفِهِمْ ثَلَاثَ مِئَةٍ So they remained within their, their cave for 300 years. وَزْدَادُوا تِسْعَةً And some of them increased this to, with 9. So 309. So the point here is, is Allah telling us that they stayed 300 years? Mm-hmm. Is He saying that they stayed 300 years and 9? What Allah says after that is, What? Quite interesting actually. قُلِ اللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا لَبِثُوا Say, O Muhammad, it's Allah who is the most knowledgeable of how, they, how long they remained. لَهُ غَيْبُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ To him belongs the hidden aspects of the, of the heavens and the earth. أَبْصِرْ بِهِ وَأَسْمِعْ Who is better at seeing and, and hearing than Allah? So, even what appears to be God telling us how long they remained, we don't know if that is what is being said. So what what does that mean? Three hundred and nine. So three hundred and nine. No. So what it says is. Um, so it's three hundred years, and some say nine more years. Was that do tisa? So, and uh, so it's like a statement. They stayed in the cave for three hundred years, and some say was that do tisa, and some increased nine. Yeah. So the o- point o- is. What's been said is, is irrelevant. <coughs> no, the point here is, is this information about what actually happened? Or is this uh, a statement of what people are saying? Because mm-hmm. the next verse says, see, it is Allah who knows better how long they stayed. Yeah, so basically, so, people are saying, but it, it's not... So again, it comes important. back to this idea, was it four, and the fifth was a, was a dog, etc., etc. But what's interesting here is, you know, some scholars say that the nine is, is the increase in number numerically of years if you take the lunar calendar mm. and 300 is the is the number if you take the solar calendar so so it's almost as if if they're asking how long did they stay the quran is almost indirectly answering this in a very interesting way saying solar or lunar mm-hmm. you know so and i think it's it's almost as if is it really that important yeah because once you start saying solar, lunar, you can go into different types of ways of measuring. Is the important thing not the fact that they were protect, protected and preserved and were seen as being 
an event worthy of marvel at the time? Is that not what's important? Or the number? Isn't it the case that it's almost like trivializing the concept of time mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or as we know mm-hmm. or, or putting into perspective how important it is for us to know that you know time is relative mm-hmm. it doesn't actually really matter yeah so I, d- I did mention the the, uh, the the story of the people of the cave is breaking the norms of our perception of time yeah so this chapter essentially is breaking our perceptions of things to see the truth yeah, for anything, time yeah, so and re- space. And remember, that's why I said it relates to the tribulation of Dajjal. Because what will happen <clears throat> during the tribulation of the Antichrist is we will lose sight of the reality of things because of the the numbers and the phenomena and the visual pyrotechnic, pyrotechnics of fireworks and amazing mid- mid- magic and all these things that will lure us in Mm-hmm. will take us away from the essential point, truth and falsehood. Yeah. And so, so Surat al-Kahf is also, the, what the Prophet you know, prescribed it for was um, protection from the tribulation of the grave as well. So this is, you know, the, the thing about Surat al-Kahf is there to get your sense of perspective on the reality of what is around you. Time, Causality, space, wisdom, space, you know, time in terms of temporal place as well. All these things are being slowly but surely, I think, etched out of what we normally think them to be, and they're being totally changed. So this chapter obviously is going to, you know, when we come to the other parables, we've got three parables left, which is the parable of the the two gardens. You've got the parable parable of the Prophet Musa Ali Salatullah and Khidr. You've got the parable of Dhul Qarnain. In between that, you have the usual Quranic narrative in a very poetic method placed about paradise, the hellfire, about human responsibility, about tribulations. All this is interspaced between very interesting stories that are all about breaking norms. And so, you know, as we continue on with this, you know, I think tomorrow, the day after, we'll be looking at, um, you know, a small section which is going on to the discussion of the parable. وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلًا And O Prophet of God, you know, strike for them the example of رَجُلَيْنِ of two, 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 two men. And that will be the parable of the, the gardens. And so before that is, you know, admonition to the Prophet him to be patient and to remember his own responsibility to people around him. That in the context of these amazing stories, the Prophet is still being spoken to directly to fulfill his obligations because when he fulfills his obligations, people follow him and follow, uh, fulfill their obligations. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I think we'll do this tomorrow is وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ And be patient with your soul, with those that call upon your Lord morning and evening. يُرِيدُونَ mm. وَجْهَ Seeking nothing except the pleasure of God. So this is Almost as if, you know, the Quraysh have asked and the, and the, uh, the rabbis have asked, don't forget, O Muhammad, your, in, your, your principal task, which is to be gentle and kind to the people that have accepted the faith. Mm. And not look for the big fish. The big fish, the Quraysh and the rabbis trying to convert them or convince them. Have patience and, 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 and clemency with the people around you who seek nothing except the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are more important 
than these, you know, the, the big fish that people want to influence. Mm. And there's a constant theme in the Quran that that power and majesty that you see among certain people who are the players in society, that is nothing if you compare it to the heart of the pious, meek, poor, poverty-stricken, yet prox- a person pro- in, in deep proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that contrast even within the context of the stories, is brought out very, very clearly. Um, for us, very clearly, something that we should um, focus on as well, inshallah. Sheikh, so, uh, this ayah number 27 again. Mm-hmm. And recite, O Muhammad, what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. <coughs> there is no changer of his words, mm-hmm. and never will you find in other than him a refuge. Uh-huh. So, it's like... Uh, some would say Allah is saying to Prophet ﷺ, don't change the words that I've sent you. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? No, is no, I mean, I, I don't think that's what it is. وَاتْلُ مَا أُوْهِيَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ كِتَابِ رَبِّكَ O Messenger of God, recite whatever has been revealed to you from the the book of your Lord. Is it not hidden here without change? No, what it says, it doesn't say to the Prophet ﷺ, do not لا change. مبدلة. لا مبدلة لكلماته there is no changing to like in a in, in a sense of alteration or change of perspective or revision of what god will ever say okay not saying to the prophet do not change so that's okay. that's okay. that la mubaddila there's there's this idea of there's no power that would come to change the words of allah yeah, the words here means the expressions that contain the stories that contain the message. Meaning, mm. there's no change in God's manifestation of power or majesty, perception of time and place, none. And you will never find other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a refuge. Because the whole interesting point here is they're asking the question about the people of the cave, of Dhul Qarnayn, of the, of, of the Ruh. Allah is basically telling the Prophet. When we give you the answer, give it to them. You don't have to think whether they will understand it or like it. Mm. So, just give it directly. And this is why in, 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 in Aqidah they say that the prophets of God have four qualities. All of which have to exist in, in, in prophets. One of which is to be sinless, to be in, to, under divine protection, which is Isma. One of which is Siddiq, which is to be truthful in speech. One of which is Fatana, which is to be which is to be, um, you would say, fatin in, in Arabic is from fitna, which is closer really to fitna actually in terms of it's 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 it's, it's by by brutal form is to be quick witted or to be intelligent. So they have to be that. But the last thing is tabliq, which is they have to convey. So they cannot hide what is given to them. As a condition, a basic precondition, and this is what Allah is saying: "What do min rabbik?" You know, O Master of God, recite whatever has given been given to you from the book of your Lord, and is don't hide it. What is is to give an, uh, you know, a reminder to people based upon what has been given, and there'll be no change in God's understanding of the facts. Mm-hmm. So, which means when God is saying. God knows best the number, God knows best how how long they stayed. That is the final statement. So, so there's no change. There's been no change and there'll be no revision. So 
whatever they have of what they recollect will not be true, true than what God has said. So when it says لا مبدل لكلماته, the kalimat is not just the words. Kalimat is the hukum, because everything comes into being based upon Allah's words. Kun fayakun, everything that happens, you know, the fact that they had an extended sleep was by the kun fayakun power. إنما أمره إذا أراد شيئا أن يقول له كن فيكون. The fear with God is when He wants something to happen that He says, "Be," and it is. This happens, and you cannot then stop and short circuit the power of God in bringing into being what Allah wills. So the Mashia and the will of Allah is also, as you've seen, very strong in this chapter. لا تقول أن لشيء إني فاعل ذلك غدا إلا Allah. That idea again, the Mashiach is very important. Do not lose sight of the big picture here, which is God's power and will and God's existence. Over and above this, the, 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 the titles and the stories and the details that are in here. So, uh, reflections with Sheikh Razan Muhammad, uh, Surah Kahf. Uh, we've almost completed the first section of it. Uh, we have a short ad break and I'll inshallah. Uh, bring you in this conversation uh, some of the points that we've covered so far uh, and a summary of uh, what's been done in last nine uh, episodes. Surah number 18, Surah Kahf, The Cave. Uh, When we uh, started this program, we promised our listeners three sections, three clear sections. One was Surah Kahf, uh, the commentary of it. The relevance of the stories, the three main themes. The first one is the sleepers. And also, what we did last year uh, with Surah Yusuf, uh, the, the image of Surah Yusuf's story is in Prophet Sallallahu life. Similarly, uh, all these stories, they're asked by the community, by the people who Prophet Sallallahu lived in. And then it seems in these two ayahs that we read today, وَلَا And These ayahs, as if it's been said to Prophet ﷺ, but they're actually reprimanding the people who are asking. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the, the khatub is, or the, the, the speech is towards them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of giving Prophet Sallallahu the, the tasalli and the backing that he required mm-hmm. is that the correct understanding? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim the, so you're asking about the specific the verses um, which is verse 23 and 24 here mm. so is this you, you're asking is this a, a reprimand to the people asking the question? yeah um, either a reprimand or an indirect answer. Hmm. So, there's there's an understanding, when I was speaking about this before, there's an understanding that you cannot lose sight of the larger um, universal principle here just because you have such a miraculous story to recollect and go through in terms of detail. So, the the nature of the story and the whole idea of how long they stayed and how many they were and the details of specifically what happened could divert your attention to essentially 
the whole purpose of your asking the question in the first place. Mm. And this is why I mentioned that you know the, the whole power of this sequence in the Quran is that it does what in, in, in Arabic rhetoric is called iltifat, which is to basically move from a storyline which is distant to very close. You know, speaking from imagine you're um, you're reading a story, just a general story about historical thing, and then all of a sudden you you turn to the person next to you and you start speaking to them, mm. and then you go back to the story. People will want to know why you went directly to that person and spoke to them. It must be very important to break. See, the the, the way you're describing important. this, right, is almost like the modern filmmaking, mm-hmm. as if they have taken this from Quran. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cutting of the scenes. Mm-hmm. The panning of the camera mm-hmm. from one to the next, and then fading it out and fading it in. And no, I mean f- you're saying you, that. I mean, my teacher in Tafsir, Sheikh Saeed Sakharak in, in in Syria, he he exactly said that to me when he was teaching. Um, we were doing Tafsir al Nasafi, um, and then he 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 was going through Surah Al-Ahqaf, I think it was, and there was all these kind of different scenes. He was saying you cannot understand the Quran unless you. You try and picture the dynamics of each scene, which creates a tension that creates uh, a buy-in from the viewer or the listener mm. to see what is the next scene. Yeah, but yeah. to be honest, the cinematics is such that it's nowhere near uh, how the Quran approaches it because I don't think any viewer would be able to make sense of a film that had the nature of the, almost the. You you won't use innovation here, but you would use the the innovative form in which the Quran presents meaning. Mm. You know, like in 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 literature, you can't produce an epically innovative novel. No one will read it. No one will buy it. Mm. Like you want to break this sense of time and place and character, people get confused and they'll give up because they want they want, they know what they expect. Beginning. Mm. And sometimes time travel, etc., etc. Or you might have the first chapter, which is essentially what happens at the end, and then you continue. That makes sense. Mm. But not the way the Quran does it. The Quran does it in a way that it keeps your attention span. And we talk about nowadays, like people use technology and smartphones, and their attention span is is you know down to thirty seconds or something. Mm-hmm. It's not true that people's attention spans now is down to thirty seconds. Human beings are generally. Um, you know they're 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 struck by heedlessness. They're struck by forgetfulness, and they need to be reminded. Yeah, they love sound bites. So they like they love that, and also the Quran um, constantly is is a dhikra. It mentions it about itself numerous times. Dhikra lil mu'minin. It's a it's a reminder for believers. A reminder meaning the same message again and again, pounded in, mm-hmm. just to make sure that people understand the basic universals of it. And so what happens in this specific sequence is that Allah provides this. Change and pan into the Prophet to indicate do not get caught up in this the question that they've asked and the specific answer that's been given, however miraculous miraculous it is, because none of this can happen and be in any way comparable to God's power and God's Mashiach. And this is why Allah says, recite whatever has been revealed to you from your Lord. There's no change in the in the speech of God. And and this and this is sense of perspective that you have in the seerah. That you the Prophet is being approached by different types of people. He has obviously the Quraysh, the polytheists, he has the later on the, the, the Jewish rabbis, then he has the contingents from the, the Arab tribes, all with different sensibilities and, and and priorities. 
He's being told, even when he's engaging with them, never to lose sight of his essential message, which is the Qur'an and the nature of God being taught to people. And so this is just one example where in the midst of this, as we'll see you know, when we go along, it reminds the Prophet of the hero of the here and now of what his responsibility is to his own companions who beseech Allah in constancy at all times. And they should be as much worthy of the Prophet's attention as anybody who comes with a question that is going to be part of you know, the reason for a revelation of the Qur'an. Sheikh, what's the, what's the scene like here? I mean, this is Makkah, mm-hmm. just outside Kaaba, mm-hmm. uh, and there are tribes, there are communities who would come to Prophet Sallam's house, mm-hmm. and they would, or 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 were there any squares that they would be sitting, mm-hmm. they'll be talking amongst each other, and a companion would then hear it, and mm-hmm. they will go to Prophet Sallam mm-hmm. and say they are asking this. Mm-hmm. Is that how it happened? It happened different ways. I mean, the the, the dynamics changed depending on the t- in, in, in in Mecca specifically. The dynamics changed a lot. Almost, you could say, month to month, you had a period of um, reclusive activity. You had a period of sec- uh, initially period of seclusion. You had a period where they had a safe house, which was a place of teaching, which is Dar al Arqam. Dar al Arqam is now, you know, if you go to Safa and Marwa, it's basically where Safa, just outside where Safa is. The mount, um, so they were there, and then for a certain period, the Prophet went into the the the, the yard of the, of the, of the Haram, in front of the Kaaba, and taught and recited, and we know that that happened towards the end part of the Meccan period, um, and so so the Najm, for example, is him the Prophet reciting the whole chapter when Najm ida hawa madalla sahibukum wa ma gawa wa ma yantiqu anil hawa. That whole chapter was recited in front of the Kaaba. So certain points he is visible, certain points they're being oppressed, certain years, as we know, they're in the, the Sha'ab of Bani Hashim, they're basically excluded economically and socially from the community. And within that you have delegations coming, but also you have, this, these questions come directly from the Quraysh to him, they come to him and ask him the questions. Okay. So in this situation, it's Nadr ibn Harith goes to Madinat Manawara with another couple of Qurayshi leaders. They come back. Nadr ibn Harith goes to Prophet and then poses the questions. In Medina? In, in Mecca. In Mecca. He comes back to Mecca. Comes to Prophet and says, we've got these questions. He asks them. And the Prophet said, I will answer these tomorrow. And yeah, okay. And then the whole in thing of thing. do not yeah. say about anything that you're about to do. Hmm. That you do it except that you say that God wills with the will of Allah. And this is the time of the seerah that we, 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 we want to look at. Is This is a time where the preps of hijrah are almost imminent. They, they're just going to happen. No, this is, this is actually before even Musa ibn Umayr is, is sent. So this is, this is the... Remember I said is Surah Al-Kahf is the interspace. It's the kind of the, the tipping point that indicates that move. So it's nothing's happened, but it's you know when the, the, I don't know if you've you know follow the tide, you you can see the the tide, and then you'll have the the gush. Yes. So it's like it's the first trickles. No one notices them. I was there today, air. Or were you okay? So <laughs> that that's so. So you were there at some sea. So you get, what you have is you have. It's for everybody. It seems exactly the same, and for the for the for the Muslims. The companions and, and 
the Quraysh, it would seem everything's as it is, it's just going to plod along. But if you were to be um, observant, you would see that this is the point where the, there's, that, there's that kind of movement at, at, this, at the seashore, and you're about to get that um, onslaught of, of the, the wave coming in. And that wave is going to be this, the shift between, I said, the first session, between the, the back foot and the front foot, between the defensive to the proactive, to the point that the Prophet is now going to make, make the decisions to send, mm. to meet the people in, in Aqaba, to, to have the, uh, you know, the oath of allegiance from the, 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 the Ansar, to send Musa ibn Umayr to Madinat ibn Awara to start teaching, to plan the movement of his companions to places that are safer, and then ultimately to wait for the command of Allah to allow him permission to go with Abu Bakr to the city of the Prophet Essentially what will become that. And so this is all happening when we can see the tide turning. Remember, the reason I said this is because the Quraysh having to seek the health of, help of Jewish rabbis means that they've failed in their ability to quell the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu hmm. Like they failed. They need help from an, a, a, a group of people who they don't believe to be on the truth. Hmm. So hmm. they must be in desperate straits. And so that kind of, that, that movement of the sea, sure, is a definite movement. It is a change of tide. Do we, do we get a sense that, uh, for, for me personally, I, I feel that the biggest demon or biggest issue in life is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And it, to gain certainty in any matter mm. is the whole, the cliff is all about trying to gain certainty in matters of life. Mm-hmm. Prophet Sallallahu uh, and the situation we are in just mm. now, mm. Uh, the, the, the whole thing is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's not certain. You don't know the outcome. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, is there a parallel here in this? Story? I mean, is is there, the uncertainty is in worldly in worldly issues? There's always uncertainty. Yeah. So I can imagine there must be some back advertisement about the fact there's always uncertainty, and we we're the bank that will protect you from uncertainty. People prey upon the the fact that we are unsure and we have fragility and frailty and therefore we have this kind of um, weak spot where we try and seek certainty in our worldly lives. Mm. Now you can plan and you can you can you can create systems where you can mitigate uncertainty. You can lessen uncertainty. But the, the, I think the point here is. There's no way of getting rid of uncertainty. The embracing of uncertainty is the pathway to certainty, I think. You know, there's certain things that you're sure about. They're the things that will keep you solid in any period of difficulty. Is that what we get from Prophet Salam's life? Yes. Yeah, so embracing uncertainty is the pathway to certainty. Yeah, so very close to this period when Surah Kaf is revealed is the instance of, of Ta'if as well. Ta'if comes... A very similar period where the Prophet um, has to present the message to a group of people who are even coarser and harsher than the Quraysh. Like Bani Thaqif. Mm. They're worse. They are much more arrogant. And if you can say that, they're, they're much more mm. headstrong um, than even the Quraysh. And he has to go to the point that he has to present the, the message of Islam to them. They reject it. And so when he, he finds it rejected, the uncertainty of his life now is, you know, if you compare it to COVID-19, we're, we're, living, in, we're living in a paradise. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think this is uncertainty. You know, if the Prophet is being told to go to Ta'if, which is an extremely hostile community to his teachings, um, he goes there after having expended all of his energy trying to convince the Quraysh and they're not being convinced. Very fragile context. He's doing this in the uncertainty of, of the rock of his existence. Um, a worldly support to him, his wife Khadija passing away, um, his uncle Abu Talib passing away. For him, uncertainty, like support, protection, physically, Abu mm-hmm. Talib has disappeared. The financial... But, but, but it did affect Prophet It's called Amul Huzn. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So if you want to talk about certainty, uncertainty, and this is uncertainty, you picture it. His financial, his his political, military defense, which is his uncle, has disappeared. His emotional and also economic support, which is his wife, disappears. Hmm. Um, and so, if you talk about uncertainty, losses source where you can imagine money hmm. and wealth and all the rest of it gone. His protection protection's gone. Um, he seems he's losing his city. Mm. Mecca is basically yeah, thrown him. Why yeah, is he going yeah. to Taif? That's like going from me going to Edinburgh. Yeah, migration. Migration to a place that you know no one's going to listen yeah, to. Yeah, new streets, new environment. Yeah. And then that is uncertainty. And so the uncertainty is never encapsulated in a more perfect sense than Amal Huzan, Taif. But if you think about it, that uncertainty is the basis of building his real, his, his real certainty, Sayyidina. Because his re- re- response to that whole situation of change of absolute uncertainty in where he is uh, is that he makes a dua to Allah who says um, you know if you're not angry with me then I don't mind so the certainty is in his relationship with Allah so if that's there he's not worried about all this uncertainty in his worldly mm. affairs it becomes irrelevant because if you are, as long as you're not angry with me, I don't mind, because I need that certainty with you, O Allah, that will help me get through this situation. So, you know, that du'a is amazing because of the fact that we are, in, you know, for people, they perceive their own situation now as being similar, uncertainty, financial, in terms of family issues, in terms of relationship issues. In terms of job security, in terms of everything you think of, everybody's mind is going, you know. But is it is it fair to say that Prophet Sallam's life teaches us that it's like a film that you watch, it's like a picture mm. that you have, and you know for sure, however much this hero isn't going to be in trouble in mm-hmm. this film, mm-hmm. in this episode, but you know from previous st- read-ups that he's not going to die. Mm-hmm. And you're certain. But there is uncertainty within the certainty. Mm-hmm. So are you talking about when we when we read the seerah? Is yeah. that your point? Yeah. You know, so our, you know, obviously... Or, or when we deal with life uh-huh. in, in light of Prophet's life, mm-hmm. that being uncertain in certain situations is just not relevant because there is certainty which is my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we read the seerah knowing that the tribulations that took place, there is a conclusion to them in terms of the victory and yeah. the ultimate revelation of the Quran and the companions yes. collecting and is the end of it being radiant. So we know that. And so when we read about 
the Battle of Hunayn or the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Khandaq, read about Hudaybiyah. There's this sense of dejection that how could that have happened? But we know that it's going to get better. Like we know, but if you were there, you wouldn't know that. Mm. Except for the fact that the Prophet knew that. Mm. The only difference we have is the only person in this whole environment where there was certainty was the Prophet because mm. God promised him, Wallahu ya'asimuka min nas God will protect you from people, from nas, here is his enemies, it means. And so he knew that with certitude. But it didn't, interest enough, change the way he acted. Like in Badr, mm. his dua in Badr was probably the, as heartfelt, if not more, than his, his dua in, in Taif. Even though he knew that God would not, God would not allow his, him and his message to be um, trampled upon and destroyed. He knew that. So why make the apparent um, spectacle of worshipping and, and devoting and crying and beseeching moments before a battle if you knew it was going to be won? Like if you mm. knew you were going mm. into mm. a battle and you knew it was done, there was a deal mm. behind the scenes that meant you could, you're not going to have to do anything. But you could go into this with, with that certainty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you mm-hmm. and you're going to win. And, mm. and how the win... Uh, expresses itself mm-hmm. is going to be different. Mm-hmm. The expression of victory. Exactly. So he had to play and take on the role of the, the abject servant in all situations. And is that for me as well? Yes, it is. I think it is. Absolutely. And this whole reading of Sira mm. is to live a life which is. Okay, so, th- so that's, like that's, that's another conversation, coming. right? We, mm. we study Sira and we devote ourselves. To the love of Prophet Sallallahu mm. For the sake of it mm-hmm. And or And slash or mm. To live a life which is A life of a faithful I think you, you have to has to be, The latter has to be that you're living it For the benefit that it provides you Sirah in Arabic is a pathway uh, That a person takes Sara Yasiru is like a sira, it's like a pathway it takes. The reason why it's a sira is because it's, it's there for you to try and follow. And even if you think of sunnah, sunnah in Arabic is a pathway that's followed, you know, linguistically, whether it's good or bad, doesn't make any difference. It's something that you follow. Sharia is in Arabic the pathway that takes you to an oasis that saves, saves you from dying of thirst. If you think about it, um, a religion. Every Imam Malik's book on hadith called Al Muatta, which is the well trodden path. Like, our religion is based upon the fact that we know things so that we can actually engage in following them and, and being true to them mm. to the final steps. So, Imam Malik collected his book, Muatta, and he knew by the title that he wanted you to take steps in your prayer and your fasting and in your international relations and your commerce, in your following the Prophet to the point that you would. Place your feet upon where the Prophet placed his feet. Mm-hmm. And all these other people, generation after generation after Prophet, his teacher Imam Zuhri, you know, their teachers and Nafi' Ibn Umar, all these people they stepped on the, the footprints of, of the Prophet وسلم, in in honoring him. And so if you talk about Sirah, it's about following. If you talk about Sunnah, it's about following. If you talk about Sharia, it's about following. All these things are essentially about following. And so there's no idea that it can just be about wondering and and just praising mm. for the sake of it and just being marveling mm. in the reading of amazing in, 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 instances or even marveling at the perfect qualities of the Prophet unless it impacts you 
and informs you and changes how you are and changes your perspective on how you should be transforming yourself to be a better person, you've missed the basic message of Islam. But there seems to be a slight tension in this, that if you want to know Prophet Sallam, you know it through his life or through his Shumail. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there seems to be a slight tension there mm. in understanding. No, I think the Shama'il are basically the qualities of perfection that we then draw us to love the Prophet more and feel the connection with him more. So the Seerah itself becomes much more um, of you know, a, a, a proposal which we will take on without any problem. Mm. Because you only follow somebody really if you really know the person well. Yes. In kuntum Allah Allah says if you if you claim to have love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then follow me, God will love you. Now you cannot follow the Prophet unless you Sheikh, sorry, I, I want to hear that again. What thing? in English what you said just now. What did I say? I don't know what I said, but what do you think I said? <laughs> uh the translation was this Arabic. The Arab the Quran. In kuntum Allah If say O people if you claim the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, follow me, then God will love you. It's almost like, if you say that you want to be truthful and true and ethical, then follow me. But my point is, Quran and God says, will love you. God will love you. But the point is, you cannot follow somebody just because you want God to love you. You have to love the person that you're following. So the seerah is the thing you're supposed to follow. Imagine... You know, in a, in a parallel universe, you didn't believe in the person that had this life story. How would you follow them? In our this universe, we know the Prophet ﷺ, and then when we look at his qualities, the Shama'il, we see that this person was like the replacent moon and the radius sun, the glorious sun, somebody worthy of adoring from the physical perspective, from the ethical perspective, from the perspective of his private life, his public life, every single aspect of it induces you to follow him. So then the seerah becomes a must for you to know what he did in the Battle of Khandaq, in the Battle of Uhud, what he did when he was in the two years of social economic um, you know, expulsion from Mecca. What did he do? What did he do? You want to know because this is a person you believe in now. You've bought into who this person is, Sallallahu mm. This is why the Shama'il is so so potent because it now you want to look like him, you want to speak like him, you want to eat like him, you want to do all these things, and you want to you know you know if people into celebrities and all the rest of it. They start to do these things. Yeah, human yeah. beings are mimicking animals as well. Social mimicking mimicking animals. They copy things that they like. Mm-hmm. With this walking, you know, if you see in children, you'll see a child walking and, and speaking and acting like their parents, mm. because they want to mimic something that they admire and look up to. And so, the shama'il are a must for taking seriously what is the blueprint and pattern of life that the Prophet presented to us in his seerah. And without the, without one, you can, and it's no there's no tension here, because unless you unless you misunderstand what the shama'il are, the shama'il are there to induce love to the point that you then say, I want to take his life seriously, that his life was important enough for me to study and try and apply upon the situation that I am in as well. 
time is 902 uh, iftar today is going to be 907 and we conclude this program by sending durood on prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ali muhammad wa barik wasallam sayyidina muhammad please keep us in your duas uh, while you're waiting to open your uh, your ninth or 10th um, fast inshallah we'll be with you again tomorrow at half past 7 Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad and I uh, with another reflections. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 